With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Here comes the lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go. Welcome back to the Lightning Round Podcast for Jamie, who's tweeting at lightning underscore round. I am Garrett Sisti at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. We are here to talk about some of the important storylines from the Chargers' 26-10 victory over the AFC West rival, the Oakland Raiders. But here come those donations. We got a few of them this week. We do. We got four donations this week. So big shout out goes out to Marcus Terigian, John Narcessian, William Preston Walker, and Michael Ward all of whom gave very generous donations this week. We thank you guys for keeping the beer fun going, for continuing to support the show. Um, I'm assuming you're all listening as well as donating, so thank you for that. And uh, those of you, like we always say, whether you're donating, listening, interacting on social media or on the pod, I'm, I'm sorry, we're on the uh, Lightning Round app, um, or even rating us on iTunes. However it is that you support us, we appreciate it very much. So thank you all for your continued support. Yeah, thank you for continuing to listen. I know that it was a little strange for a lot of you guys when we rolled out this whole Bolts from the Blue podcast network and you're getting a lot of other podcasts. Weren't even sure when the Lightning Round podcast was coming out because it's the Bolts from the Blue logo now, but I appreciate you guys still sticking with us. Uh, you guys have found us, figured it out, and we appreciate you sticking around and continuing to listen to Lightning Round podcast. So uh, before we get into our storylines, we got a few questions to cover first. So first question is from Joseph Valensky. 
And Joseph asks, I was just wondering why they would make Forrest Lamp active if he wasn't going to play. Does this mean he's going to play next week? Also, how did Feeney play this week? Hopefully he's improving. He's had an up-and-down start. So Lynn, before we got on this podcast, said that Forrest Lamp is ready to play now and that we should see some snaps from him soon. So though he was active on Sunday against the Raiders, you saw that they weren't real plans to play him at all because they were going into garbage time of that game where they kind of ran away from the Raiders. They could have snuck in some snaps for Lamp. They didn't. So he was active. That's a start. Uh, Anthony Lynn said he's ready to roll with him very soon. So we'll see how that goes. But it seems that they're not really ready to move Michael Schofield to right tackle yet. Like They just don't want to budge on that at all. So it seems like he might come in on some jumbo packages maybe. But, you know, you probably won't see him starting anytime soon unless one of those guards go down or one of the ta- another tackle goes down and they're forced to flip Schofield outside. So, you know, the fact that they're willing to work him in is a good sign. As far as Dan Feeney, um, you know, obviously to begin the year, he's been a better run blocker than he has a pass blocker. Still has the hiccups, still having his troubles a little bit. But I think through the last two games, he's been a little bit better than he has to begin the year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think in terms of why they would make Lamp active if he wasn't going to play, I think it was just a reflection of all the injuries they had on the line. You know, with uh, Russell Okung hurt and with Joe Barksdale hurt, they just needed an extra body. And with Lamp, they had the flexibility of having somebody who could play guard and arguably arguably play tackle in a pinch if one of those tackles went down. So they just had him there just as kind of a, an emergency kind of solution in case somebody got hurt. So that's why he was active if he wasn't going to play. Right. Um, and like Garrett mentioned in his post-practice press conference today, Anthony Lynn did say that Lamp is ready to start seeing game action. So hopefully we'll see some snaps sprinkled in for him. Maybe like Garrett mentioned in jumbo packages, maybe on the goal line. Maybe some unbalanced line looks just to get him some snaps. I, you know, I really thought if he was healthy enough to be active, I would have liked to see at least a few snaps from him against the Raiders, especially, you know, you've got the ball. You ba- they basically ran out the last five minutes of the clock in that game. Um, with a 16 point lead, there was no threat of really anything going wrong at that point. I, I would have liked to see a handful of snaps for Lamp just to get him moving downhill as a run blocker and just to kind of get his legs under him. I think that was the perfect time to do it. Kind of a a missed opportunity by the coaching staff. Not something obviously you want to you know hang them for, but something that I personally would have liked. I don't know how you feel about that, Garrett. Yeah, no, that's what I was saying. You know, yeah. they had some time and garbage time to work him in, but they didn't. And you know, you thought it would be nice to. It's the perfect time where it doesn't count. It's not preseason, but it's the end of the game. It doesn't really count. He can get some real in-game reps. And, you know, he can kind of get used to the game speed. Yeah, I think it, I think it would have been nice to see him out there. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was a little bit of a missed opportunity, but again, not a big deal. As far as Feeney, I think his play is getting a little bit better. He looked really good out in front of some runs and a couple of screens uh, on Sunday. Pass protections, a little hit and miss sometimes. It did seem like he got beat a couple times on Sunday, but he was able to recover and bury his guy before, they, before he got to the quarterback. So, uh, you know, some ups and downs, but... Getting a little bit better as a pass protector just seems like he's maybe a little bit slow uh, out of his stance at times uh, off the ball and letting people cross his face a little bit too easily. So hopefully he can make those adjustments, particularly in pass protection, and start to settle down a little bit and settle into his role as that starting left guard. So next question is from Craig Smith. He says, so fellas, 
saw a PFF write-up on their ideal trade scenarios. What are your thoughts on realistic Chargers options? Uh, I think trades are tough for the Chargers at this point just because they don't have a whole lot of salary cap space and there's not a whole lot of room to add people without moving salaries. But a couple names that come to mind for me, uh, and I've heard one of them mentioned uh, a lot lately because he's not playing for the Raiders, and that's Carl Joseph, the free safety. Uh, somebody who probably would come pretty cheap considering the Raiders really aren't playing him at all and don't seem to value him at all. Uh, might give them a, a youthful upgrade over Jalil Adai or at least somebody to rotate in there and maybe start looking at other options uh, as Adai continues to struggle. So that's a guy, you know, maybe you look at trading you know, a conditional fifth-round pick that maybe develops into a fourth-round pick based on playing time or production, something along those lines. Another name that struck me watching the Raiders game, again, is tight end Jared Cook, somebody who's been a huge safety blanket for Derek Carr throughout the first four games of the season, was really invisible against the Chargers this week. I thought it looked like he was kind of going through the motions, didn't really look like he was a big part of the Raiders game plan at all going into that game. He wasn't on the field as much as I would have, as I would have thought he would have been. And just, they didn't seem to be looking his way at all. So as the Raiders continue to tank and slide downhill, you might keep an eye on that and see if maybe there's an op opportunity to add a, a playmaking tight end uh, to the mix. Um, if, you know, if they decide they're ready to move on from him. That's a good idea. I, you know, tight end would have been a, would have been an area I would have looked at. I didn't think about that. But the names that come to mind, um, and for tight end, I think the Ra the Ravens have like, th like three or four tight ends they could probably part with over there. But anyway, um, the guy that came to mind for me was a guy that I've talked about before, and it's Patriots free safety, Dron Harmon. And this is back when he was a free agent. You know, the Patriots run three safeties between Patrick Chung and Devin McCourty, Jerron Harmon. They've got Nate Ebner, who's their special team specialist, as their fourth safety. So theoretically, he could be on the trading block if we're using this theoretical scenario. I think Harmon would really be a, a great trade target. He's he's in his second year. He signed a contract of four years, seventeen million, which is. Way too cheap in my book, but because they cycle so many safeties in, he's not technically a starter, but he is worth like a, you know, like you mentioned, maybe a f conditional fifth round pick, work into a fourth round pick if he's good enough. He's in his second year of that contract, so you lock him up long term. I think he could really thrive in Gus' system because he's a very good run defender and he's rangy as a free safety. He'd get the starting experience. If you throw a fifth rounder, you know, a late fourth. I think he's definitely worth it, and I think he'd really help out in the back end for the Chargers. Yeah, I like that idea. Anything to get Jalil Adai off the field, I like. <laughs> Especially playing free safety. <laughs> Jalil Adai won him playing free safeties, too. Yes, that's a, that's two wins right there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question is from Jeremy Belgao. He says, uh, what can be done to minimize the effect of a die at free safety? Can they put Derwin in center field and Jenkins in the box, give Phillips some free safety snaps, or what? I love playing Derwin near the line of scrimmage, but this defense has a big liability over the middle of the field, and good OCs will continue to expose it. Personally, I'm ready to move on from a die entirely. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, if we're not trading for Deron Harmon, who seems to be a pretty cheap and under-radar signing, but uh, if you're not doing that... You know, you got to keep running Derwin James out at free safety. But like you mentioned, if a die is being bumped down to strong safety and Derwin's the free safety, Derwin's not in the box, and you want Derwin in the box. So your other options are playing Adrian Phillips or Rayshon Jenkins at free safety. Or, I mean, in some situations, you could 
have Adrian Phillips a free safety who has earned playing time and you know, I like him closer line of scrimmage too, but let's just stick Phillips there at free safety in this scenario. Put your little diet strong safety and maybe play Derwin James more as that nickel linebacker, the role that Phillips ran last year and let Derwin roam, you know? That often seems like a nice wrinkle, but you know, I don't think Jaleel Dye is going anywhere. You know, he's been rough this season, but the coaches don't even want him to miss a snap. Again, he played a hundred percent of the defensive snaps again on Sunday against the Raiders, so it's a long shot to even get him cut down on his snaps, let alone lose his starting spot. So I think I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. I agree. I don't think he's going anywhere. The coaches seem like they're they they're pretty dug in on him as the free safety. Um or at least having him on the field, uh, I would say if it was me, I would I would take Phillips, put him at free safety, and I'd rotate uh, a die down into that box safety role, and maybe rotate Derwin and a die between the box safety role and the strong and the the, the dime linebacker role to get the, both those guys closer to the line of scrimmage, give them opportunities to make more plays in tight quarters as opposed to having so much field to cover. And really let them kind of roam and hunt and come downhill and make plays. I think that's that's the answer. If you're if you're committed to keeping a die on the field, you need to put him in a position that is better suited to his skill set, which clearly is not being twenty yards off the ball in the middle of the field, being responsible sideline to sideline and everything in front of you and behind you. That's not his calling in life by any means. <laughs> so I think you bring him down closer to the line of scrimmage, give him a chance to be aggressive and come down and support against the run. Uh, maybe see if he can hang with some of the tight ends closer to the line of scrimmage and just let him be him because right now they're asking him to be someone and something that he very clearly is not, and that's a problem. Uh, another way to minimize the effect of a diet-free safety, and we saw it a little bit on Sunday against the Raiders, more pressure on the quarterback. Uh, if you get more pressure on the quarterback, particularly up the middle, and you're not giving those quarterbacks a place to step up into their throws and look downfield, you're not giving them a long time to look downfield and make big plays down the field, you minimize the die's effect because quarterbacks are having to get rid of the ball more quickly and they are having to dump balls off in the flats and in the underneath zones, and it becomes more difficult for them to stretch the field and challenge a die down the field if he is going to be back there at free safety. So... I agree with Garrett. I don't, I don't expect the die to go anywhere, but I think those are a couple ways that you can kind of hide him and, and minimize his effect, namely by moving him out of free safety if they're committed to keeping him on the field. Okay, so that does it for questions. Let's move on to some storylines from this game on Sunday because it's a fun one. Let's, uh, why don't you go ahead and give me an important storyline you took away from this game? Well, I think the, the biggest storyline for me, and I said it during the game, and I was just reinforced watching the game back a couple times, is... I thought the Chargers played their most complete game of the season by far. Did I steal your idea? <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious. So, yeah. yeah but it's a, it's we'll, an obvious we'll, one. I'll touch on it. Uh, I mean, they made plays on offense. They made plays on defense. They had a couple good returns on special teams. Coverage teams covered well again. We did have a couple missed kicks, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we move forward. <laughs> but uh, – they did everything well, and from a just a game plan, uh, you know, a basics of the NFL kind of perspective, they won on third down on offense and defense. They held the Raiders to I think it was four of eleven on third down. They converted seven of their own thir- seven of their own thirteen third down opportunities. They had a plus two turnover margin, and they eliminated the big mistakes. No turnovers, limited the big plays for Oakland, and there were no huge glaring coaching blunders. 
So they kind of cleaned up their mistakes and they basically did, for the most part, with with the exception of a couple game planning, game calling kind of issues, which we'll get to in a minute, I thought it was their most complete game in terms of how they played and how the game was coached. I'll just echo that because I was going to say the same thing. You know, it's their best overall win on all phases. You know, a few shows this season, we've given these this coaching staff some, you know, some guff a little bit. We've a little backlash, but uh, this week they, you know, completed all their game plans on every phase and they executed beautifully. And, you know, whether it was, you know, one coordinator letting down the other one or special teams or it's, you know, Lynn just being completely outcoached on Sunday, they just dominated the Raiders on every level. You know, on offense, I thought Ken Wisenhunt kind of sleptwalked through the first half outside of the first drive of the game and the last two to end the half. I thought, you know, Wiz was kind of falling asleep at the wheel there, but... I thought, you know, he set up some nice motion to Spring Gordon a few times, and that second half was as good as you could ask for. They had three long drives on offense, and they scored on their first two drives. On the third one, like you mentioned earlier, they basically just ran down the clock until they won the game, and those three drives took up 18 minutes and 46 seconds. So not only did they keep the ball more than a full quarter, but it was long sustaining drives, and they got points on all of them. So you can't ask for anything more than that. As far as Gus, you talked about, you know, being able to get the Raiders off the field on third down, but then also, you know, the plan to bracket Jared Cook and he, you know, he's been one of the Raiders best receiving weapons and he was a non-factor with four catches for 20 yards. And last year, Bradley elected to have Casey Hayward shadow Amari Cooper and, you know, last year in the two matchups, Cooper had one catch for seven yards and the other one, one catch for 11 yards. And on Sunday, Bradley did it again. And according to Jeff Radcliffe, it was again eighty-one percent of the time they shadowed uh, Hayward shadowed Cooper, and it was one catch for ten yards. So they took care of business. And then the run defense again stifled Marshawn Lynch, only thirty-one yards on a week following where he went for one hundred and thirty against the Browns. And so far, in a small sample size, every time Marshawn Lynch goes over a hundred yards, they've won. And so they limited Marshawn Lynch, took away their two best receiving weapons, and said, hey, let Martavis Bryant get a couple long catches. Have Jordy Nelson try to run on us. But they didn't let the big weapons hurt them, which was great. And then you mentioned special teams, and, you know, of course, Caleb Sturgis, uh, you know, notwithstanding here, uh, they looked great again on special teams. The coverage teams was good. And Dwayne Harris was a top-five returner going into this game, and he was the AFC West Special Teams Player of the Week last week against the Browns. He had one punt for two yards. They uh, held him to, I think it was two... Two returns for 40 yards. He was averaging 20, but uh, still kept him in check. And Sturgis did a nice job, and credit to George Stewart too, to kicking it left and right of the end zone, kind of making Harris choose to you know run vertical and then try to get it upfield. And he couldn't return it, and he knelt it. So they didn't let Harris hurt him at all. And the other thing that I think kind of helped out and that's kind of encouraging with this win is they actually stepped on the gas in this game. Yep. For the other couple wins, it's been, they've been playing down to their competition. They let the Bills creep in towards the second half of that game. The 49ers had a chance to win it at the end. They didn't, but they played down to their competition. You know, even though it was 3 3 for the first half, like most of the first half, they were in control the whole time. It seemed like the Chargers were in the driver's seat. The Raiders team has hung around with every game they've played this year. Even though they stink, they've hung around, and the Chargers didn't let them play close this week. And I expected the Raiders to do it. I thought the Raiders were going to hang close and the Chargers would pull away eventually. But, you know, after the touchdown with 204 left in the second quarter, 
it was a touchdown, missed field goal, field goal, field goal, touchdown, and then ran out the clock. So they scored from then on, stepped on the gas, and never let the Raiders up from there. So the win was good, but the way they won, I think, was very encouraging. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. I think, you know, they, like I said, they made plays in all three phases of the game, uh, good coaching decisions for the most part in all three phases of the game. They're really, I mean, there are, there are some things to clean up, penalties, some play calling issues, things like that, that I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. But from an overall big picture standpoint, I thought there are a lot of things that they can build on here. And there are a lot of things for a lot of reasons for Chargers fans to be encouraged by the way they played. Granted, the Raiders are not a very good football team and they're not a very well coached football team. So we got to kind of throw that in there. Not to rain on anybody's parade, but it's just the reality. They beat up on a team they should have beat up on. And honestly, they probably should have scored more points. Uh, to only leave that game with 26 points, you know, they should have had at least 30. You could probably argue they should have scored over 30 points against that defense. But uh, big picture, they played well. They put some good things on tape. They made some more adjustments on defense that helped. And uh, they, they're doing some things that I think that they can build on, which is encouraging as they build towards the second quarter of the season. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or I don't know. Maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Yeah, I agree with that. And so moving on to another one, and I'll I'll kind of move off coaching because I'm sure we'll get back to it, but I thought the, the stars showed up and then, you know, some of these depth players showed out. I liked I liked how from top to bottom there was a lot of good play. We saw Melvin Ingram, who had a career day. We led the team of tackles, finished with the sack, two tackles for a loss, a pass deflection, a QB hit, and, of course, that huge interception in the end zone, and then a goal line carry that uh, actually looked like he kind of punched it in on the second watch. But uh, <laughs> Ingram certainly thinks he punched it in. But, uh, you know, Ingram was all over the place. He really was a huge part in stifling um, Marshawn Lynch, which I think is kind of going underrated, too, on the day he had. But the one thing I do fear is that, Gus Bradley is going to want to run Ingram at middle linebacker a lot more because he got the interception there, and I don't think that's a spot you want to be running Ingram very often. So I, I think Gus got away with it there, and I know they do that on goal line packages, but I hope he's not encouraged by that sign and hopes to run Ingram out at middle linebacker more often. But, um, you know, Phillip Rivers, uh, almost perfect, 22-27, 339 yards, two touchdowns. Another hot start to the year again, and he was really good under pressure on Sunday too. Derwin James had another good game, which was highlighted by that stick he put on on Jared Cook, where it should have been a five yard reception, but he drove him back so far. Mm-hmm. It was a two yard loss. That was awesome. And then these depth guys, Darius Phylon, Adrian Phillips, some of their best games this year, if not their careers. Phylon had a sack, tackle for a loss, a pair of QB hits, and uh, you know I didn't look at the stats, but it looked like he put more pressures on the quarterback than anybody in a Chargers uniform on Sunday, and that sack. Gus lined him up as the defensive end, put him on the left side against Colt Miller, and just overpowered Colt Miller. It was great. And then, you know, of course, that Austin Eckler touchdown as well on that kind of panic dump off that Rivers juggled the snap, got rid of it with no time to spare. 
But that was something else, man. Austin Eckler in space is fun to watch. So it was fun to see a lot of strong play up and down the Chargers roster on Sunday. And it wasn't just, you know, the usual suspects. You expect, you know, Melvin Gordon to get his and Rivers to get his and Melvin Ingram to show up from time to time and Derwin James to do his thing. But to see things from Phylon and uh, Square was nice and Eckler and you're seeing things from uh, Adrian Phillips to this game, that that was good. Yeah, I agree. I think the defensive line in particular deserves a huge shout-out. Uh, this isn't necessarily one of my storylines, but across the board, the defensive line played extremely well. Square did a lot of the dirty work against the run. Phylon, I think, had probably five or six pressures in that game. Uh, he almost had two sacks. He had a run stop. He was in the backfield consistently. There were a couple other plays where he penetrated and caused uh, Marshawn Lynch to stop his feet, and the team came back, came in from behind him and cleaned up in a gang tackle. Uh, he was everywhere, and I think it's time you know, we start looking at Darius Phylon as something more than just a depth piece because he is the best defensive lineman on this team, bar none. And people can cheer Corey Legion all they want. They can talk about <laughs> how great it is to have him back. They can talk about how he's a difference maker and, and all this. But look, Legion did nothing in that game. Uh, he had as many pancakes as he did pressures in that game, two of each. <laughs> also had a penalty. Uh, his one run stop came as he was getting bent in half at the line of scrimmage by, <laughs> by John Feliciano. Uh, he did not play well. He did not make a difference. They weren't double-teaming him. He was getting overpowered by people. So you can celebrate him all you want, but Darius Phylon, that's the player in the middle of that line. Brandon Meebane has really stepped it up the last couple weeks as well. Yeah, uh, Meebane, Square, and Phylon, those three guys are all playing lights out over the last couple of weeks. And I think it bodes well for them moving forward as they move into what most people would consider the soft spot of their schedule. So big shout-out to that defensive line. Even... Even uh, Isaac Rochelle looked better in his new, newly defined role as that interior rusher and even off the edge at times. So all those guys played really well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so what else do you got? What other storyline you want to share with us? My second storyline is I thought, you know, you mentioned that they stepped on the gas in the, sec- in the second half, but I thought there was really a lack of continuity on offense, a, a lack of offensive flow, particularly in the first half of that game. You kind of mentioned it uh, earlier on. Uh, I thought they should have scored somewhere between 35 and 40 points against that defense, which is not very good. Uh, to me, it seemed like there was way too much focus again on running the ball following big passing plays. They'd throw for 15, 16, 20 yards downfield, pick up a chunk play, on, get a first down, and then run the ball right up the middle to Melvin Gordon. It just seemed like there was this need to really balance the number of play calls instead of mixing things up and keeping things moving and generating a flow on offense. And I didn't care for it. I think it kind of bogged down the offense, particularly in the first half. It got better in the second half, uh, but did not care for the play calling in the first half at all. And I thought Wiz in particular was really predictable with his off-tackle runs. I noticed watching on film, particularly in the first half, anytime they wanted to run Melvin Gordon off-tackle, they'd motion Tyrell Williams either across the formation or in tight to the side they were going to run on. And by midway through the second quarter, the Raiders were keying on that. And it actually helped set up the screen pass in the third quarter that Melvin Gordon almost took for a touchdown before he tripped on Dan Feeney's feet. Um, But I just thought they were trying a little too hard to stay balanced in terms of the number of running plays and the number of passing plays instead of just going with the flow of what was happening on offense and keeping things moving. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I thought, and I kind of mentioned it, he kind of fell asleep at the wheel. And it it is so 
it's not disheartening, but it's just a buzzkill. He's such a buzzkill when they get big chunk plays and then it's run up the middle for two, three, four yards. It's like, get going. You know, you've got the offense rolling. The corners are reeling. The, you know, there's a lot of times where it seemed like the Raiders were on their heels and they'd get a big chunk play and then they'd start to chip away again when they didn't really take any chances downfield. So I, no, I, I agree with you. And I thought Wiz really did a disservice to his offense in the first half. I thought he got with it towards the second to last drive and then the last drive before the half. And then, you know, second half, I thought it was nice to kind of run out the clock and bleed it out. But, but I agree with you there. That, uh, the, I thought the screen pass to Gordon, was it at the end of the first, end of the second quarter, early third quarter? Yeah. Where they almost scored the touchdown. To me, that felt like the point where things started to loosen up and they kind of got in the flow of the offensive rhythm and things started moving. But before that, it was kind of, you know, they'd pick up. 15 yards, they'd run for a yard. They'd pass for four. They'd have a third and medium and not convert. Too many throws behind the sticks, behind the first down markers on third down early in the game. They had the bubble screen to Keenan Allen on the second possession. Third and 10, and they're throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. No thank you. Uh, (laughs) And then they had the uh, little stick route to Antonio Gates on third and six where they threw a three-yard pass to him and looked for him to get yards after catch. No thank you. Yeah, because he's your yak monster, uh, yeah, he's Antonio a, Gates. He's the guy you want picking up yards after the catch. Absolutely. <laughs> and then they actually they had another one. I think it was a third and four where they threw the ball in a little out pattern to Mike Williams, who actually can be a yak guy, but only if he's moving forward. And they had his his shoulder pads pointing towards the sidelines, expecting him to get upfield after making the catch, just not putting him in a great position to succeed. So they kind of killed – they shot themselves in the foot with some questionable play calling – and a lack of rhythm early, and then they kind of built up towards what we wound up seeing in the second half. So at least they at least they worked their way out of it. You know, it was a nice little wrinkle, and this has nothing to do with the track about, but um, Mike Williams on that reverse, man, it ended up getting called back, and uh, I think it was a hold on Tevi, but man, when he when he got ahead of steam, I couldn't believe he was, he picked up like 10, 15 yards on that play, and that wasn't the speed you expected from Mike Williams. Yeah, I think that had more to do with the Raiders' defense sucking than Mike Williams being fast. But, well, uh, no, he was. Listen, I'm not calling him. You know, he's not Tyreek Hill, but I'm just saying it looked impressive. The blocking was great, and obviously the Raiders' defense sucks. And there was an obvious hold there too, which kind of helped him spring an extra couple <laughs> yards. But it was it was not. He looked good in space there. Yeah, he looked pretty good. That's so, not something I want right, to see a lot so, of. But <laughs> all right, so give me uh, give me your last storyline here for today. All right, my last storyline is more adjustments from Gus on defense. He had a couple more personnel adjustments that we had not seen in the previous weeks that I really liked. Um, one of those adjustments was we saw Adrian Phillips actually playing the Will linebacker role in base defense at times. Uh, they also matched him up one-on-one with Jared Cook a couple times to great effect. And he had a couple underneath pass breakups and a couple run stops. He was really coming downhill and playing extremely well. Just seemed really comfortable in the role they had him in, both as the Will linebacker and the Dime linebacker. That the play, um, I think it was in the second quarter, maybe the Raiders' second or third drive, where the Raiders tried to throw a, a little fade route down the sideline, one on one with Gates. I'm, I'm sorry, with Phillips and uh, Jared Cook, where he kind of pinched Cook to the sideline, one on one, playing corner basically, and ran him out of bounds and didn't give him a chance to make a play. That was a fantastic job of using his technique and and really using his sideline to his advantage so very well played game for adrian phillips he was a huge really unsung part of what the defense did yesterday uh also you mentioned it earlier 
Darius Phylon, he's been playing pretty much exclusively inside the first four games. Uh, with the weakness at tackle, Gus moved him outside a handful of times in sub packages. He played some five technique, uh, got a sack on one of those plays, almost had a strip sack on another play where he was playing five technique. Somehow, I don't know how Derek Carr held on to that ball, uh, but he was able to kind of double clutch, get the ball down, and find uh, Jalen Richard for a, a big pass play where Melvin lost track of his man in coverage. And then they they did something I didn't think they'd do. They resisted the urge to put Corey Legit in the starting role and used him really as a situational pass rusher. Uh, they kept Phylon on the field, which is earned and deserved because, like I said, he has been the best interior lineman on the team so far this year. And they really just tried to rely on Legit to get upfield and make plays against the passing game, uh, get to the quarterback, which he didn't do. But that is the role he needs to have moving forward. He should not be getting... Uh, more snaps in Phylon, and I wouldn't even think he should be getting nearly equal snaps to Phylon, which he did on Sunday. I'm glad that they didn't thrust him into that starting role right away. Uh, they shouldn't regardless, but I just thought it was a it was a given. They were just going to give him his spot back. Yeah, I did too. I, I fully expected that to happen. So it's nice to see them you know, uh, rewarding the good play of Phylon and not just handing Legion his spot back after getting suspended. Um, I thought they gave him a few too many snaps. But at least he wasn't the guy out there in the base defense getting, you know, getting starter the starter snaps. Yeah. So uh, my last storyline here, and you talked about a game plan thing for Gus, and I'll, I'll do a game plan thing for Wiz, and that's I thought between Ken Wisenhunt and Philip Rivers, they did a really good job of hiding the inexperienced tackles, Sam Tevy and Trent Scott on the edges. Now you know, both Tevy and Scott struggled early on. They gave up a sack. Each had a penalty, but I thought they did enough to help stunt that Oakland pass rush that game. And, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Tevy and Scott here because I think they really settled in towards like the middle of the second quarter and got better as that game went along. But I thought Gus did a good job, or um, excuse me, Wiz did a good job of getting a lot of quick passes out, some off-guard rushes early. Uh, they left some tight ends on the edge. You saw some Eckler, some um, Virgil Green next to the tackles. And then you also saw Feeney and Schofield help out a little bit. Um, and they kind of, you know, helped loosen the load for Trent Scott and Sam Tevy. And then, you know, Rivers kind of knew that his clock was going to be ticking a little bit quicker than usual, and he did a lot of pocket manipulation. He was stepping up in the pocket. Um, he just let Tevy and Scott run when they were getting beat, just run their man around the hoop and go behind Rivers. He'd step up and be able to deliver his passes on time. So I thought that was a good game plan thing from Wiz and from Anthony Lynn to kind of make the best out of a less-than-ideal situation. And a good, you know, good execution by Rivers and by Scott and Tevy. And I think, you know, they both looked pretty good in the run game, um, especially as the game went along. And there was a lot of uh, troubles, I think, early on with the pass protection. But, you know, the Raiders had the same predicament. You talked about it. They had some tackles who were a little wet behind the ears. And the rookies, Colton Miller and Brandon Parker, and those two looked overwhelmed on Sunday. But somehow, you know, the Chargers looked like they, you know, the Charger tackles looked like they settled in. And they didn't have as many issues as the Raiders offensive linemen did. So uh, good on Wiz and good on Rivers for kind of hiding those inexperienced tackles on Sunday. And, you know, we kind of talked about it. This was the game that they could do that because that pass rush stinks. Now, coming up this Sunday against the Browns, they're not going to be able to do that against no. a guy like Miles Garrett. So <laughs> uh, hopefully Okung and Barksdale are coming back uh, sometime soon. Hopefully Okung, at the very least, is back on Sunday against the Browns. Yeah, I agree with you, and I'm glad you brought that up because it wasn't one of my three three storylines, but it is something that bears mentioning is that I thought Tevi and, and uh, Scott settled down quite well on that game. 
I really liked what the Chargers did to kind of get those guys out in front as as lead blockers in the run game at times. Tevi was often working at the second and third levels, had a couple really nice blocks. He had a huge block on Melvin Gordon's first run off a left tackle uh, on the Chargers' first possession uh, right after the big completion to uh, Keenan Allen. And I thought, I think Tevi looks really, really good as a run blocker. And I thought he got better as the game went on as a pass protector. Are they, you know, I saw a lot of people complaining about the holding penalty or the penalties the Chargers had. Nine penalties for 82 yards in the game yesterday, which is a problem and it's going to hurt them against better football teams down the line. But I think four of those penalties were holding penalties on Scott and Tevi. And to me, that's effort. They're trying to make sure Rivers isn't getting killed and they're holding guys. And I, I can live with that. Even if it kills a drive, I'd rather see them grab onto somebody and tackle them and protect Rivers than just let somebody run right over them or, or around them and get to Rivers and take him out, maybe cause a, a, a sack fumble or something. So I don't have a problem with that. If half their penalties are holding penalties on those young tackles, I can live with that. And it obviously didn't hurt them on Sunday. But both those guys played well, and they did do a good job of hiding them and protecting them and kind of simplifying things for them with the way they ran the ball at times. And they, they really let their their athletic linemen be athletes and get out in front and block, and I thought that was huge for them, particularly in the second half. Yeah, it was nice to let them get out in front and kind of build their confidence a little bit too because it seemed like they really settled in as the game went along, and maybe that, that had something to do with it. You know, they were a little bit more confident. Yeah, there were some holding penalties. You don't like it, but it happens. But there were some... Uh, good play late in that game, and credit to Sam Tevy, who looked terrible to begin the year and is starting to do a little bit better as weeks went along. And Tevy wasn't good on the right side to begin the year, and now he's protecting Rivers' blind side, and you didn't see much from Tevy. There was a couple penalties, and they gave up a sack or two, but other than that, you know, Sam Tevy held his own for the last two games, uh, you know, filling in for Russell Okung. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. A lot of it has to do with Rivers stepping up in the pocket, manipulating the pocket. He threw, he made a couple good throws on the run, fleeing the pocket when he felt pressure coming. Uh, Tevi was the one that gave up the first sack of the game that ended the first possession of the game. He got beat on an inside counter by Bruce Irvin, but after that he was kind of ready for the inside counter and he stuffed it a couple times. Got beat around the edge a couple times, but in most instances when he got beat around the edge, he was able to chase Irvin or whomever it was that beat him down and kind of and like you mentioned run him around the hoop he wasn't just giving up and getting whooped he was recovering and trying to come back and make a play so both those guys i thought showed very well so neither of us mentioned it and uh it's something we got to talk about what are the charters going to do with caleb sturgis they're gonna next they're gonna cut mike went <laughs> <laughs> how how concerned are you after that game with Sturgis? Uh, I think the extra point is more concerning than the 49-yard field goal um, at the end of the half. I didn't think the field goal was that bad of a kick. It does seem like he has a tendency to miss left when he misses. So that's something they got to they gotta see if they can figure out. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know, quote-unquote timing still. It looked like he slipped and kind of hit the ball with his ankle on the extra point that he missed. But I think if you go back and look at the tape, it looked like Dan Feeney got run over. Um, on the line on that. It looked like the the kick might have been blocked. So I don't know if maybe he was trying to pull it to sneak it past the, the defender who broke through the line and was trying to block the kick. But uh, I think the extra points are more problematic than the long missed field goals. Like I said, I didn't think the field goal that he missed was that big of a deal. Uh, Would have been nice to have it right before the half, but 49-yard kick uh, didn't miss. wasn't that bad of a kick. Just Just pulled it just a hair. So I think that's correctable. 
But the extra points, I mean, he's already missed four extra points. That's a big problem. That's got to get sorted out one way or another, and I don't know what the answer is at this point. I mean, uh, Donnie Jones was supposed to be the answer with the timing and the confidence and the relationship and the, you know, symbiotic nature of whatever it was they had going on in Philadelphia. Uh, It didn't really help as much as they thought it would. So I don't know what the answer is, to be honest with you. I don't (laughs) think they're going to cut Sturgis. It seems like Anthony Lynn is digging his heels in a little bit. Uh, but he did say today that Sturgis has to start making those kicks. So maybe, you know, maybe they're done making excuses for him. You know, he's two of three. Missed. Uh, he made two of his three extra points. But, I, you know, I think because it's the first week on a short week that they brought Donnie Jones in, um, you know, there's probably still some getting used to, some timing issues still, because they, you know, they practice that week in, week out. And they don't really get to with a new holder now that he came in, you know, halfway through the week. So you kind of give Sturgis the pass in a game that was kind of a blowout anyway. But, you know, I I don't know how long you give this man a pass and how many passes he gets because he's got a lot of get out of jail free cards here with Anthony Lynn. But I understand them rolling with Sturgis another week. I don't think it's ready. It's time to cut him quite yet. You got to give the chemistry a little bit longer than one game. On a short week. Yeah, that's probably fair. I think, you know, what concerns me is they say they're looking at the whole process, but they seem to be looking at the whole process for everybody except the kicker. Um, You know, they brought in potential long snappers. They brought in new punters and holders last week. And then during the game, I don't know if you caught it, but during the game after one of his misses or right before one of his misses, uh, one of the announcers, I think it was Bruce Arians, said something about, you know, George Stewart mentioned to me that during the kicking process, the, the long snapper should go completely unnoticed. It should just be automatic that the ball is where it's supposed to be so that the, kick, the holder can put it down and the kicker can kick it. And it just seems like they're setting the table for, you know, sandbagging Mike Wint, who's been with the team for nine or ten years, and I don't think he's the problem, but it doesn't seem like they're ready to blame Sturgis yet. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, Wint better not be the next to go. That makes zero sense. But, you know, who knows? Crazier things have happened. They just brought in a new a new kicker, a and new punter. Gi- yeah, and to, and to give them credit, uh, it does seem like, small sample size, obviously, one game, it seems like they upgraded at punter um, with the move to Donnie Jones. Got to give them that. Uh, yeah. And it did seem like, on the first couple kicks, it seemed like maybe, you know, there was some kind of chemistry there with Jones and, and, and uh, Sturgis. So yeah. we'll see how it goes from here. Uh, but it seems like at the very least they upgraded their kicking game uh, with by changing punters. So, and if that's a net positive, then maybe you can deal with a couple missed kicks during the course of the year if they're pinning guys deep, pinning opposing offenses deep with actual quality punts. Yeah, yeah. One didn't mention Donnie Jones in the special teams positives during the podcast, but yeah, Donnie Jones was good. You know, obviously small sample size, but uh, man, he really he really booted one of those kicks. Pinned them within the 10. So, anyway, that'll do it for us on this Lightning Round podcast. I am at Garrett Sisti on Twitter, Jamie. At Lightning underscore Round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hey. 
everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.